Warning, this week's podcast is family-friendly. Parental or guardianal discretion is always advised. But most children will survive listening to this week's story. You are listening to the Literary Comedy Podcast. Stories of comedy, tragedy, and time Ing. Hello. Welcome to Chapter 7 of A Dragon for George, a friendly for most of the family novel about a 12-year-old boy and a dragon who may or may not be from another dimension. Last time, George and the dragon escaped his family and his bullies only to be sent over the edge of a cliff by the lanky horseman. And now, Chapter 7 of A Dragon for George. George let go. He hoped it would slow his fall, but as the branch had branches and needles that offered a good deal of wind resistance, and as George himself didn't offer any sort of wind resistance, if anything, he fell faster. So George removed his backpack, but this didn't do him much good either. The backpack fell at a slightly slower rate than him, so... If he miraculously survived the fall, the backpack, and branch for that matter, might well smack him and unmiracle the miracle. George spread out his arms, trying to steer himself toward the river below, away from the much more solid bank. George had never tried steering through the sky before, and very soon realized he might not be successful in this, the most literal of crash courses. Maybe I could roll just as I hit the ground, George thought. One of the kids at school said you could survive unscathed if you timed your roll absolutely perfectly. That same kid also ate crayons, claiming that you could live on nothing but crayons for a week. That kid was wrong about everything. George was definitely going to die. As he came to this most unpleasant of realizations... Two sharp claws grabbed his shoulders, two more grabbed his back, and a strong tail wrapped around the belt loop in his jeans. The dragon spread out its wings wide and true. This didn't help much. While the dragon had been growing rapidly ever since it started eating hay, it was no more than a foot and a half long, nearly half of which was tail, with a wingspan no more than two and a half feet. Its wings could barely support its own weight. The addition of a George was simply too much. Gravity maintained its command over the situation. The dragon adjusted its wings, which put it and George into a plummeting spiral, gravity still winning. But the dragon did manage to veer them away from the ground and smack into the middle of the river. I say smack into the middle more for the smack part than the middle Part. George had belly flopped off the high dive before, which he now thought of fondly as something that hurt a whole lot less than what he felt now. But George was glad it hurt, since pain was a pretty good sign that he wasn't dead. The dragon had saved his life. I can never repay you for that, George thought as he kicked his legs, swimming back up to the surface. How wrong George was. He looked around for the dragon, thinking it would pop its head back up to the surface. But it didn't. The dragon, able to float in the air, had sunk in the water. George took a breath. He dove back under where he saw nothing but silt. 
George pushed his hands outward, trying to feel the dragon, but grasped only current. George needed air. As his eyes emerged, they saw several bubbles pop to the surface in front of him. "'You're breathing!' George exclaimed through gasps of air. "'Or burping! Or farting!' He dove towards the bubbles. He felt around, still unable to locate the dragon. But, as George was about to return to the surface, he saw a thrashing shadow a few feet from his reach. But George still needed air. He kicked his legs, re-emerged, took a deep breath, and swam in the direction where he'd seen the shadow. George reached his arms out in a breaststroke, touching the dragon three strokes in. George kicked his legs to go deeper, went under the dragon, grabbed it in his arms, and then kicked up towards the surface as hard as he could. George and the dragon both gasped for air. George turned on his back, spreading out his limbs, trying to rest the dragon on his chest. But the dragon thrashed its legs and wings in a panic, knocking George's phone from his pocket, burping all the while. George watched his phone sink, doubting it had survived the fall in the first place. "'Calm down for me, buddy,' George said between gasps. "'Can you, can you calm down?' George stroked the dragon behind its ear slowly. He spoke as soothingly as he could. "'Keep still. I'll get us to shore.' The dragon, for once in its life, obeyed somewhat. It stopped thrashing its wings, pulling them inward. Though it still gave the odd flail with its arms and legs, this didn't impede George from swimming to shallower water where the current wasn't so strong. George took several deep breaths, composing himself. As the dragon reached for the riverbank, pulling itself onto the shore, George crawled up next to it, touching its forehead affectionately. The dragon crawled up onto his lap, breathing deeply, flicking its tongue. You, we, we're not dead, George said, hugging the thing, which pushed its claws against George's legs as it adjusted itself. Ow, George said, feeling the weight. Glad all that hay and grass is going somewhere. He looked around, spotting his sword and backpack on the shore three hundred feet upriver. A feeling, a realization, hit him suddenly, like an inhale and exhale both at once, terror and relief in no particular order. That, George thought, is the place I didn't die. He looked up at the cliff where he'd been not so long ago. No one was there. They probably think we died. George stood up, shaking himself out. Or they're finding a way down so they can chase us. George decided it more prudent to assume the latter. If the horsemen caught them, they'd take the dragon away. George's dad would give the dragon to the authorities, who might kill it. George ran up the shore to retrieve his backpack and sword. The dragon followed him. It jumped off the ground every few steps and, flapping its wings, managed to glide twenty feet or so each time. George returned his sword to its scabbard and his backpack to, well, his back. The dogs can sniff us, George said to the dragon. We'll have to throw them off the scent. Floating along the river, George figured, would be the best way to go about this. But the dragon couldn't swim, 
and they didn't have a boat. George searched the shore for something that might help them. He spotted several tree branches that were too small and fallen trees that were too big or too waterlogged. We'll run along the riverbank until we find something, George said. As they ran back in the direction they'd only just come, the dragon howled. Don't worry, George said. I have a plan. The dragon howled some more. Enough of that now, dragon. George paused. The dragon deserved a better name than Dragon. He'd avoided naming it Max because he wasn't sure it was Max. But he'd avoided naming it anything else because he wasn't sure it wasn't Max. The dragon leapt, gliding over a smooth, waterlogged tree stump. I could still name you Max, I suppose. I could call you Max the Dragon. The dragon belched a response while also farting. Or Max Gas. The dragon made a noise of displeasure, somewhere between a hiss and a chirp. It knew when it was being made fun of. Sorry, George said, looking down at the dragon. Max doesn't feel like the right name for you anyway. The dragon flicked its tongue. I mean, even if you were Max before, you're not Max now because Max wasn't a dragon. Also, Max wasn't a girl, and that horseman called you Queen of Reptiles. George didn't much like the lanky horseman, but he was from the dragon's world. He'd know better whether the dragon was a boy or girl. Though I couldn't say for sure until you laid eggs or something, George said. And even then you could be like a seahorse, or maybe gender is meaningless in your species. I I don't know. I'll just call you a girl for now. They passed the wet spot on the bank that marked their emergence out of the river. You float through the air, but not the water. George pondered this a moment. There's not really a name there, though. The dragon glided ahead a few feet. Glide doesn't sound right. Dilda? No. Glida! That's much worse. George thought through the names that Max had given the mares. Guinevere was fitting for a queen. Guinevere. The dragon didn't react. Egrain. She didn't seem to care for this name either. How about Isolt? We don't have a horse named Isolt, but I know Max liked the name. The dragon belched. George took it as a no. You should have a Max-related name, though. Even if you're not Max, you're definitely Max-related. George spotted a long, straight log caught against a point bar. George ran over to it, feeling its smooth edges. This is a timber log. They come off the log booms sometimes. The log would float. The log would be perfect, assuming he could dislodge it. How about... Lorn? George asked, dropping his backpack onto the riverbank. George examined the edge of the log that had lodged into the sand. Lorne was Max's middle name. The dragon chirped as it sniffed under the log. George pointed at the dragon. Lorne! The dragon looked up at George, who pointed at himself. George! George pointed at the dragon again. Lorne! The dragon chirped happily. Okay! said George. It's settled then. You're Lorne. The dragon walked up to eat some grass, growing at the top of the point bar. It's a boy's name, but I suppose it doesn't have to be. George turned his full attention to the log. 
Pushing as hard as he could, he managed to roll it a little ways up the point bar, but he couldn't sustain the effort, and the log rolled back to where it had started. We'll need to dig out under it, said George, kneeling down beside the log. George took a step into the water, digging underneath the log. George looked up at Lorne, still eating. I wouldn't mind you helping, he said, gesturing for Lorne to join him. Lorne looked at George suspiciously. She slowly moved towards the water, sniffing it. A wave lapped against the shore near Lorne, and she jumped back, hissing at the river. It's okay, George said, stepping into the water. You're safe if you're near me. Lorne made a chirp hiss at George. She was having none of it. It makes sense you're afraid, George said, scooping mud from under the log. But we've got to travel on the water so they'll lose our trail. Lorne ran back up to eat more grass. George walked up to her. Listen, he said, it'll be okay if you're with me. George patted his chest twice. Jump up. Lorne looked at him suspiciously. George patted his chest again. Jump up! Lorne did so, clinging to George around the shoulders. George walked Lorne toward the water. The dragon breathed rapidly. I'm going to take a step in, George said, dipping one toe into the water. Lorne leapt back onto the shore, hissing at George, who took another step into the water, kneeling down. He patted his chest, opening his arms wide. You need to trust me. George patted his chest again. Do you trust me? Lorne looked up to the grass. She looked back at George. The dragon took a cautious step toward the water. You can do it, George said, patting his chest. Lorne sniffed at the water, hissing at another wave. She looked up at George, doubtful. I saved your life, remember? George patted his chest again. And you saved mine. George opened his arms extra wide. Lorne took a leap, flapping her wings, landing in George's arms. You can trust me. Thank you for listening to Chapter 7 of A Dragon for George on the Literary Comedy Podcast. If you like the show, you can spread that like when you like, rate, review, subscribe, and also listen again next week. Until then, bless you, keep you, and take good care.